Wonderful. All right, good to see everyone tonight. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 24 this evening and what we sometimes call the Olivet Discourse. And there's a lot of, a lot of things that the, that the Lord Jesus speaks about here, but it all really comes around the idea of the tribulation period. And tonight we'll just... Um, we're going to start to, to think about the exact timing of the rapture. And I'm not saying we're going to predict the date. I'm saying, as it's described in the Bible, and how sometimes we even describe it, whether we're pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. And so, you know, that's generally the positions and the times of exactness about the rapture that people sort of conjecture over. And really the, the main question surrounding the rapture is about its, its, its exact timing. And there are varying opinions about that. There are varying opinions of the exactness that, you know, many have split over and have even become contentious about. Um, and there's a general agreement on all the details of the actual event, but the divining line seems to be when it will occur in relation to the tribulation. So even when we think about it, as we've described our position, we're pre-tribulation. Uh, that's how it's, it's described according to what we understand about the tribulation period. All right, and so tonight, rather than going into those different positions, which, Lord willing, we will at some point, we're going we're gonna to think about the tribulation because it's important to know the purpose of it. If we're going to describe our position based on what we understand about the tribulation, then we should understand what the tribulation is all about. And, you know, there's, there's probably no more um, harrowing topic as far as some of the things that occur in this seven-year period that, that really just describes something, sometimes even some fantastical things some, that, that actually happen on this earth. Some things that if you were reading it would, would, uh, would maybe even be, be good to submit into a, to some Hollywood studio so they can make a fist of it, but they won't do it justice. And, you know, you sort of look at some of the things that are brought out as, as far as some of the end of the world stuff and, and you start to read about Revelation and there's some basis that some... Some of them make about that through that, but I'll tell you now that all the special effects in the world and all the, the different storylines that can come with it won't do justice to what will actually happen during this seven-year period of the tribulation. And so it's important for us to understand that. And so Matthew chapter 24, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And so the, the, the disciples who were Jewish men, when Jesus was talking about some of these things occurring, they, 
wanted to know specifically, and their only interest, and we, we know the, the rest of the scriptures can bear this out, their only interest regarding these questions was really down to this, what's going to happen to Israel? Their main concern was Israel, even when they were uh, at the ascension of the Lord Jesus, the, the angel that was standing there, he reminded them about the fact that he had gone, but he's coming back. But what was on their minds during that, that time was what's going to happen to Israel? And really, that's the context of which they ask these questions. And so that's the context of which the Lord Jesus will answer the questions. It's in regard to what's going to happen to Israel. And so he answers that by describing for us really the times of the end, which what we'll, we'll see is really describing the tribulation period and what's to take place. And even their whole questioning was very Jewish. What will be the sign of that? It's the Jews that require a sign. And so that's why I was talking about earlier on as we were thinking about the rapture. There's so many who, when it comes to end times, they start to think about all of the signs of the times when actually the focus for the Christian is the savior of the times. And, and, and so the, the refocusing sometimes that we need isn't about all of the literature that's talking about the signs of the times. It's actually to re engage and refocus our gaze on the Savior of the times. And yet, what he's going to talk about here in this whole Olivet Discourse are signs. So he's not describing here actually the rapture. He's going to describe the tribulation period and then something that's totally different, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he goes on and he answers and says unto them, uh, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, and for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows." Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for, thy, for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because, of iniqui because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So again, Notice even that verse when he's talking about he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You understand that that can't be speaking to the Christian. Right? Christians don't have to endure to the end to be saved. No, we're saved. Right? You understand that? And so this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, that's a key verse there in this whole passage. He's speaking about things that were referenced by Daniel. And specifically in Daniel chapter 9, uh, we, we were going to take a little bit of time tonight, but I'm just sensing that it's going to take too long this evening. And so we're going we're to specifically target Daniel's prophecy, which we will commonly know to be the 70th week. And we're going to reason out and we're going to see in Scripture how clear that is 
that that 70th week only can exist in the context of the Jewish calendar. All right, and we're going to speak about that as, as we get along. But he's, he's basing some of these things that he's speaking about on, on Daniel and some of the things he's already mentioned. Then let them which be in Judea flee in the, into the mountains. Let, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. And notice this, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. And again, when you study that understanding of the elect, that is through the Bible speaking about the Jewish nation. They are God's elect. Right? Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there be, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Before I have told you, behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven's with power and great glory. And so he really covers right through there in those verses that we read the, the time of tribulation. And, you know, uh, many times there's, again, the emphasis there and, and there's those who have an earthquake, earthquake counter and rumors of war counter and they're looking for all the signs, but the, the emphasis for the Christian was never on the signs. It was always to watch for the Savior. And, and so... Here, he's really speaking about signs. So he's really speaking here to the Jewish nation and the, the, the question that was asked of him of those who were concerned about the Jewish nation. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the tribulation tonight. And firstly, that doctrine of tribulation, the, since the fall of man, we understand that man's destiny has always been one littered with trouble and trial along the way. You understand that there's been, through the course of history, uh, cataclysmic events that have judged the world for its wickedness. We know the flood, the story of that, and how God saw the, the violence and the wickedness of the imagination of, God's, uh, of, of man's heart, how he judges the world. And we understand that the world, even, in its, uh, even now in its fallen state, there's a, there's a judgment to come. And there's a time that the Bible reveals as that time. It's called the time of tribulation, and it has no comparison. A, a commentator said it this way, although this future period will be relatively short, it will nevertheless destroy more of this earth's population than all previous disasters combined. And if you read through the book of Revelation, it's, it's all death, pestilence, famine, and so forth. And this is going to be a time 
where there's a great time of trouble that the Jews in the world will, will ever face. Really, the tribulation is broken up firstly into two, into two halves. The first three and a half years are going to be the, the one of, of relative peace, although there's other events that take place there. And sometimes we refer to the second part as the great tribulation, and there'll be great judgments upon those on the earth who have rejected Christ and are left behind at the rapture of the church. And, and what we find when we, when we look at Daniel's prophecy of the 70th week, he recognizes that there's periods of that, but he only ever treats it, God only ever treats a seven-year period as one thing. All right? So there's, the time of great distress will last for seven years. And, and again, this is clearly stated in Daniel 9.27. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. He's saying it's one week. One week, biblically, in this context, is a group of seven years. All right, and again, we read in Matthew 24, 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And so we're going to describe and go through a little bit this evening about the tribulation. And just for, for time's sake, we're going to go through it fairly quickly. But we see the nature of the tribulation. It's a period known by several names in the Bible. Okay, it's named, known as the Day of the Lord. And, and really proceeding to that, the, the coming of the Lord. And in His second coming when He comes in, with great glory and great power. And uh, we, we won't take the time, but you can read through Isaiah chapter 2, chapter 13, Ezekiel chapter 13 and, and chapter 30, Joel chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, Amos chapter 5, uh, Obadiah 5, chapter 15, Zephaniah chapter 1, Zechariah chapter 14, Malachi chapter 4, Acts 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and 2 Peter chapter 3. Right? There's many references to the day of the Lord, and it's all in reference to the tribulation time, and it's specifically leading to his second coming. All right? Then we also see it, uh, see it uh, named the day of God's vengeance. You can see that in Isaiah chapter, chapter 34, verse 8, and Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 to 6. It's described as a time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. It's described as the 70th week in, Jer in Daniel chapter 9, as we referred to earlier. It's referred to the time of the end in Daniel chapter 12. It's described also as the great day of his wrath in Revelation chapter 6. It's also the hour of his judgment in Revelation chapter 14. It's described as the end of this world in Matthew chapter 13. It's described as the indignation of God in Isaiah chapter 26 and Isaiah chapter 34. It's described also as the overspreading of abomination that we, we just read there in Daniel chapter 9. It's also named the time of trouble such as never was in Daniel chapter 12. And it's simply called the tribulation as we read there in Matthew 24 verses 21 and 29. So it's referring to the same week. It's referring to that same seven-year period. And, and even the usage of the word. The word tribulation simply means severe affliction and distress. And, and whilst there's times where, where the word tribulation is used in a different context in the Bible, we also understand as God is giving clearer meaning about the word. That he's building to something here that 
uh, can, can only be described by those, those, uh, those names that we read already. It's all about vengeance, distress, judgment, indignation, abomination. It's a time of judgment. And again, if we understand where we, we are as God's people, where we stand, therefore, for us, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So this period of time, as the Bible describes it, really has nothing to do with us as God's people. So in referring to this time, we've got to take note of, of tribulation in its first mention. There's a law in Bible interpretation called the law of first mention. And here's where it's first mentioned in Deuteronomy. So if you quickly turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And the law first mentioned simply, simply is where, where a word or, or a person is first mentioned in the Bible. It carries through a pattern for the rest of that topic or subject or word throughout the course of the rest of the Bible's teaching. Remember, the Bible is, a, is, a, uh, is God's book that unravels over time. And so we, he, he builds on that greater understanding, but there's a, there's a pattern giving a, given us in a word's first mention. Deuteronomy chapter 4, notice verse 24, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. When thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land. Whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it, ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there shall ye serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And notice verse 30, when thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even, notice this, in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient Unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither be he neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto thee. So notice again, he's talking about the fact that they're going into the land. This is the promised land, and he's saying there's there's certain things if you if you move away or you 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 follow after other gods, you're going to find this judgment. And he's saying when you're in tribulation. And all these things are come upon the even in the latter days. So this is speaking about things that it's come, still come to be. And again, notice the pattern here. He's not referring to Christians. He's referring to his people. And his people in this context, it's Israel as a chosen nation. And so he's saying that, that when they go through their time of tribulation, then they can call out to God and they can call him and they're going to find mercy. And even then, he's going to show great mercy. And so here's what we learn. Passages dealing with the tribulation, it repeatedly emphasizes the following, wrath, indignation, trouble, destruction, darkness, desolation, overturning, and punishment. And as an event, it almost always deals with this group of people, Israel. 
And Israel is not the church. Right? God makes it and God makes a difference. And whilst there's a, there's a grafting in, and, and again, we won't take the time in Romans chapter 11, we understand that there's the, the natural branches, and then there's us who've been grafted into the one family, but we understand that God makes a difference between Israel and the church. And, and so those, those, those two things are, are different. And so in, when it comes to the tribulation, almost always... It deals with this group of people, Israel. And what's the purpose of the tribulation anyway? From God's perspective, it's this. The tribulation period has two purposes. It's to punish rebellious humanity, but it's also to purge national Israel and bring her to himself. Because it's referring there to the covenant. He, you know, God made an agreement with his people that, that, will, that they will be his forever. But you know what we read about the, the, the majority of the history of, of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is them following after other gods. They keep, you know, and, and he's espoused himself to this bride, but they're not a pure bride. They're a bride that has continually shown a, a, a lack of loyalty. They've shown that they're going to follow after false gods. And, and he judges them right to the point where they reject the Messiah that has come, the Lord Jesus. And so at that point, the time clock stops and he deals with us as, as the church. But God didn't put away his chosen people. He's, he's trying to draw them back and that time of tribulation will be that time. And he's going to chasten them and he's going to go through that to bring her to himself. And notice with me Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And notice verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And that wicked is, is uh, the, the Antichrist. And in verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So he's speaking to those that are in that period of time and, and they've, they've not received the love of truth, they're not saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, God's given us this period of time, as God, as it, and we refer to it as the church age. It's the time of the Gentiles. It's also just the age of grace. And it's this time where God's dealing not through the nation of Israel, but God's dealing through the church. And it's a time where we're meant to be warning people. Why? Because there's going to be a time where it's too late. Where actually God's judgment isn't just going to be placed in, in that lake of fire it's actually going to be placed on this earth and the judgments to come for the wickedness of all of mankind. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a fairly frightening thought tonight. And all of the indignation and wrath of God comes upon, and what he's doing is he's punishing rebellious humanity. The judgment is to come. And there's a justice that God will be doling out in Romans 1.18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who hold the truth in unrighteousness. But secondly, it's also a time of purging national Israel. And if you quickly turn to Ezekiel chapter 20. And this is prophetic of these days. And in verse 32, And that which cometh into your mind shall not be at all, that you say we will be as the heathen, as the families of the countries to serve wood and stone. And he recognizes again the idolatry of, of the nation of Israel. Have they turned away from him? And notice what he says in verse 33. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein you are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there will I plead with you face to face. Like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead with you, saith the Lord God, and I will cause you to pass under the rod. And I will bring you into the bond of the covenant and I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me, and I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So notice there he's trying to bring them back. You know, what we see all around, and, and you, you look at the history and the scattering of God's people, the nation of Israel. It wasn't even until 1948 when, when that agreement was made where they could come back into the land. And you understand that, that, that really, when you think about the, the, the efforts of regathering at this time, there's a sense there of what's to come. In Malachi 3.3, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer, up, offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And he's concerned about purging his people and, and drawing back to him. And he's referring here to... Not the church, he's referring to the nation of Israel. Okay, and so, so really the tribulation in its purpose has nothing to do with the church. Okay, every Old Testament passage you can examine about the tribulation completely fails to mention or even allude to the church. And you might argue, well, that's because it was a mystery then. You're right. <laughs> the church was a mystery and then again, what's the other mystery that he refers to when it comes to 1 Corinthians 15? The rapture. So if the church was a mystery to the Old Testament prophets, then the rapture is a mystery to them as well. But what was clear was the tribulation period. And so all of that has to do with the nation of Israel. And every New Testament passage you can examine about the tribulation uh, conspicuously fails to even mention the church. Even the whole format of Revelations, in, in uh, Revelations 2 and 3, it's all about the church. And then from Revelation 4, there's a call to come up hither. And then afterwards, until Revelation chapter 19, which is really discussing a scene in heaven and the second coming of Christ, there's no mention of the church at all. And we know that during that time of tribulation, there's going to be a remnant left over, and at, again, it's a, it's a group of, of Jewish people who will be converted, and they're going to go about, and they're going to be witnesses, 144,000 of them, and they're going to convert people and, and then speak about the gospel of the kingdom. And so again, what I'm saying is, 
the purpose of the tribulation in the context of, of, of the, the scriptures that, that we quickly, uh, quickly reference to, what's really glaring is there's a constant mention of Israel, but there's no mention of the church. And by the way, that's good news for us, right? Right? No one wants to be there. But there's a, there's a distinguishable administration really in the outworking of God's purpose in, in the, most of the Old Testament. It's dealing with humanity through Israel. But in most of the New Testament, it's dealing with humanity through the church. But now in the, in the tribulation, the church is gone and God goes back to that old economy of unfinished dealings with Israel and we're going to demonstrate that in Daniel's 70th week prophecy. Okay, because here's what I'll tell you. I'll give you a preview. The 69 weeks before was dealing with only one nation. It was dealing with Israel. So, so the pattern has to be that the 70th week only has to do with national Israel. All right, but we see the events of the tribulation. The events of the tribulation can be broken up into three sections. These, these events are generally found in Revelation chapter 6 to 19. We see the first half of the seven years is the 1260 days that, that's referenced, then the midpoint of the seven years, the abomination of desolation, and the second half of the seven years, and the, the 1260 days left over. But the culmination of this period is really the day of the Lord, which is really in summary Jesus' second advent, and we see that in Revelation chapter 19. So if we could quickly turn there tonight, Revelation 19. Verse 11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who's that church? It's Jesus. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we see that there's this, this ruler, the Lord Jesus, comes with great vengeance. Verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the thousand that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free, bond, uh, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against the army. It's describing the whole event of, the, of Armageddon there. But it's a time where in Joel chapter 2, verse 31, it describes the sun being darkened and the moon into blood and the great and terrible day of the Lord come and there will be great judgments upon those on the earth who have rejected Jesus Christ and are left behind by the rapture of the church. And these are divided into the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and the seven vile or bowl judgments. And really that all that leading up to the main event. And the main event is when Jesus finally comes and as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he takes his vengeance upon this, this world. And, and the events of the second advent, we see the return of the Lord. We see the resurrection of the Old Testament and tribulation saints. We see the destruction of the beast and all his armies and the false prophet and his followers in the, 
in the beast worship, we see the judgment on the nations, the, re- the regathering of Israel, the restoration of Israel to the land, and then the biting of Satan. All of that happens during that, that, um, that time of the Lord coming back. And so what I'm saying is it's a, it's a terrible time. It, it ought not to fill us with any kind of... We ought to feel sorrow for this world. And, and I know we went quick, but that's a tribulation in a nutshell. What, what does it have to do with us? Nothing. Okay, except this. It's meant to, it's meant, meant to motivate us to warn others that it's coming. All right, he says that in 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. He's saying, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. You know, sometimes I think we have a mischaracterization of God. We, we think that he's all, all about love, and he is. He's a God of love. Right? God is love. We see his graciousness and his mercy, and, and there's a great emphasis of that. But let's not forget he's a God of justice. That actually he's, we ought to be fearful. Sinners ought to be fearful in the hands of an angry God. He's an angry God. He's angry at the wicked all the day long. And, you know, sometimes we look at, look at those and we try to feign away from revelation. And, but we understand that God, in his patience and his mercy, that one day that he'll withhold that. And that's this day. And knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. And I'm saying there are those that we can share the good news of salvation to. And I think it's incumbent upon us as we realize the terror to come to actually tell others. And, you know, we ought not just be thankful we won't be there. We're to be faithful to warn. And so, Lord willing, next time we're, we're in this series, we'll look at Daniel's 70th week. We'll, we'll exposit that a little bit and, and talk a little bit about the implications if that wasn't just about Israel. And we'll talk a little bit how that has to do with our position as pre-trib. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your grace. Thank you, dear God, that, Lord, we live in this time where, Lord, we can see others and, and we've seen ourselves, those of us who know you, by grace we're saved through faith. And, Father, thankful that we can, Lord, look to you for our salvation and that, Lord, as we are the church, that we'll miss that time of great condemnation. And I pray, dear God, that you would help us, Lord, to warn others, though, as we think about the day to come. And help us, dear God, not to, not to shirk away from the reality of your wrath and your, your justice. But, Lord God, to realize that it's, it's the reality of, of who you are. And, Lord, we have a, a, it's our due diligence to warn others about that. And so I pray that you'd help us this, this evening, help us as we go into the week. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name.